Our first reading is uh, taken from the second letter to the Corinthians, um, chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yet everything, sorry, yes, everything is for your sake so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thank you, Lynn. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Mark chapter 3, reading from verse 20. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And Jesus called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, These are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And Christ, our Savior, bring alive your words, your truth now, in the hearts and minds of those who hear this word, now or online, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Someone recently sent my wife a story called The Journey is Short. And the story goes like this. An elderly woman got on a bus and sat down. At the next stop, a strong, grumpy young lady climbed up and sat down beside the old woman, hitting her with her numerous bags. When she saw that the elderly woman remained silent, the young woman asked her why she had not complained when she hit her with her bags. The elderly woman replied with a smile, There is no need to be rude or discuss something so insignificant as our journey together is so short because I am going to get off at the next stop. And this answer, the sender of this story says, deserves to be written in gold letters. There is no need to discuss something so insignificant because our journey together is too short. Each of us must understand that our time in this world is so short that darkening it with useless arguments, jealousy, not forgiving others, discontentment and bad attitudes are a ridiculous waste of time and energy. Did someone break your heart? Stay calm. The trip is too short. Did someone betray, intimidate, cheat or humiliate you? Relax. Don't stress. The trip is too short. Did someone insult you without reason? Shake it off. Ignore it. The trip is too short. Did a neighbor make a comment that you didn't like? Take a deep breath. Ignore him or her. Forgive and forget it. The trip is too short. Whatever problem someone has brought you, remember that our journey together is too short. No one knows the length of our trip. Nobody knows when it will arrive at its stop. Our trip together is short. Now you may say that's just an urban story full of folksy wisdom. That may be true. But for the Christian it should resonate deeply. Because what he teaches, what he conveys is in line with what Jesus taught. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek... Offer the other one also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. That's Jesus. But why is the same Jesus 
getting the hump, taking offense in our gospel reading today. After all, he's the one who's taught us all else depends on forgiving everyone who offends us. Christianity has been construed as being built on forgiveness. Yet now we have Jesus speaking of the unforgivable sin. An unforgivable sin which he spells out in ominous fashion. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. It's no wonder many throughout down the ages have been terrified ever since of committing the unforgivable sin. And they've tried to identify it in different ways. Some have identified it as envy or presumption or impenitence. But often frequently the sin of despair. It's why suicide was a criminal offense in England until 1961. If you tried to commit suicide and were resuscitated, you could be charged with a criminal offense of killing yourself. It's why that belief that it is sinful still persists, underpinning some of the opposition to assisted dying. But that belief, though, draws its inspiration not just from that, but from the sanctity of life espoused throughout the Bible, especially the commandment not to kill. So what exactly is the unforgivable sin? If we look again at the Gospel reading, we see that what triggers triggers Jesus' pronouncement, his comment, is that people had said he had an unclean spirit. His reaction suggests, as one commentator states, that he was aware that they knew he was in his right mind, but that they were unwilling to accept the consequences of that knowledge. They knew he was in his right mind, but that they were unwilling to accept the consequences of that knowledge. They took refuge instead in lies. It's demons. He's possessed by demons. Tom Wright puts it this way. The critics of Jesus had painted themselves into a corner. Once you label what is in fact the work of the Holy Spirit as the work of the devil, there's no way back. It's like holding a conspiracy theory. All the evidence you see will simply confirm your belief. You will be blind to the truth. It isn't that God gets specially angry with one sin in particular. It's rather that if you decide firmly that the doctor who's offering to perform a life-saving operation on you is in fact a sadistic murderer, you will never give your consent to the operation. It's worth repeating. If you decide firmly that the doctor who's offering to perform a life-saving operation on you is in fact a sadistic murderer, you will never give your consent to the operation. 
And there's no middle way, Tom Wright says. Jesus is either the one who's brought God's kingdom or a dangerous madman. And even if we believe Jesus brought and brings God's kingdom, sometimes the Spirit has to remind us. And he won't be embarrassed about this, he's already spoken today. It's worth repeating a testimony that Victor gave about this recently. He'd heard me go on about Pastor Jerry and the NSPPD platform. And as he says, and I quote, When I first tuned into the NSPPD prayer platform online, I was put off by it. It was too loud, too brash, too noisy. I switched off after less than five minutes. Then God spoke to me a couple of days later. He said, if you receive a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. I felt convicted that I was quick to judge I was sorry. I started joining NSPPD again, and it has been a wonderful time each weekday morning for the past three months. I have no words to describe what it's like joining in prayer and declarations on NSPPD. I am grateful to God for getting my attention. Victor is fortunate as he's a believer, open to hearing, and most importantly, willing to obey the Holy Spirit. If you receive a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. The painful reality, sadly, is, as Dr. Callie Hammond notes, we human beings have the terrifying freedom even to reject our maker and to refuse to hear his voice. We have the terrifying freedom even to reject our maker and to refuse to hear his voice. So there are people both inside and outside churches who put themselves and keep themselves beyond God's forgiveness. And this makes them literally unforgivable. Why? Because they refuse to respond to him. Because they harden their hearts against the call to turn and begin anew with him. I've been reading through Deuteronomy. If you follow the Murray McShane readings, the first reading has taken us up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. But of course, the people of Israel, oh wow, we're, we're no different. We're no different when we won't listen and obey, when we harden our hearts against the call to turn and begin anew with him. You see, it's not a matter of external religious observance like reading your Bible, saying your prayers, attending church. These are all important, essential. But what is truly vital, as Dr. Hammond rightly concludes, is about the command to confess that God is, God is, with all that then flows from that confession. He's the God of the Bible, of the New Testament. So what flows from that confession? It's no sin to be ignorant of that. 
It's no sin either to refuse it on a basis, on the basis of a misunderstanding of what God is. Our patron saint Paul was in that position. He had a misunderstanding of who God was. But truly to know God is and still refuse? Think about St. Paul. Once God had spoken to him on the road of Damascus, once his eyes had been opened, and then he'd said, I'm going back to being the same man I was, to being a leader of the Jews, back to persecute the church. That really would have been unforgivable. Truly to know God is and still refuse is unforgivable. Now one of the things that can stop people confessing the truth about God is family pressure. Family pressure. Jesus knew all about that. If you follow follow today's gospel, you can see that pressure at work in his life. What other people think has a powerful influence on us. What my wife thinks, what my son thinks, what my cousins think, what people I respect, my friends think, has a powerful influence on me and on you. Breaking through that to follow truth and conscience is never going to be easy, not even for Jesus And I'm sure that the mothers and brothers of Jesus were hurt by his words at the end of our gospel passage. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Well, I guess most of us would have been hurt as close family if we'd been out there and heard Jesus say that as our brother, as our son. But we need to remember what happened earlier in Mark chapter 3, in verse 19, before the passage you heard. Then he went home, and the crowd came together again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. Even Jesus' own family had come not to give thanks for the signs and wonders that God was doing through Jesus, but rather to restrain him. They weren't pleased that he was speaking to a multitude of people. He didn't have time to eat because he was expounding God's truth and people were taking it on board. No, they weren't pleased with that. Rather, they wanted to restrain him. They were a bit like the people in the synagogue who saw Jesus heal a withered arm on the Sabbath and rather than giving thanks for it, plotted as to how to destroy him. He, Jesus, was not going to suppress the truth out of shame or fear, even the fear of hurting his own family's feelings. 
Doing what his father in heaven wanted, following truth and conscience, was more important to Jesus than suppressing the truth or sparing embarrassment to his nearest and dearest. So how do we stop ourselves from being like those who know God is and still refuse him? Bless Victor, he heard the Lord and went back what he could have refused him and he has a testimony to tell how you know we're urged on that platform to name dates to say I want to see God's hand move by such and such a date and he brought that interview forward and the acceptance forward when the firm wanted to speak to him the next week all because of faithfulness to listening to God, listening to that platform and standing on the promises of God that he would listen. You read it in the psalm right at the beginning of the service. I will call to, we call to you, Lord, and you will listen. So how do we stop ourselves from being like those who know God is? and still refuse him. Keith, in his sermon on holiness last week, reminded us that holiness encompasses being true, faithful, committed to everything about the God we worship. Worshipping God alone, loving him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. It's the way of holiness. Now, loving him with all you are And loving him with all you have precludes having the temerity, the goal to pass judgment on God. Because I love you, God. But you can't in the next breath pass judgment on him. You can't in the next breath say things against him. You see, when we pass judgment on God... When, as Jesus shows, shows, we call the works of the Spirit bad or wicked, demonically inspired. When we deny the work of the Spirit, miraculous healing, like Maureen testified to us earlier, miraculous healing of her, her leg, her, or God's miraculous provision, God's goodness in setting someone free, then we're passing judgment on God when we do those things. If we confess that God is, just as Jesus revealed to us in the Gospels and afterwards in the Epistles, why are so many of us reluctant to accept all that flows from that confession that God is? Let me tell you another story with which I'm going to finish this time recounted by no other than Oscar Wilde. It may already have been in the June magazine. Once, someone at dinner was being rather envious of someone, rather unpleasant. And Wilde said, The devil was walking one day in the Libyan desert, and he saw a monk being tormented by some of his demons. And he approached, and the demons bowed in front of him and said, Master, for 39 days and 39 nights, we have tried to tempt this holy monk away from his God and his religion. We've offered him powers and principalities. We've offered him the joys of the flesh. 
We have offered him wine and food and riches, but he has turned us down. There's nothing that we can do to win this holy man to our cause. And the devil said, out of my way. And he whispered in the monk's ear. Instantly, the monk took the pectoral cross around his neck and snapped it and filled the air with hideous curses against his God and his church and his religion and swore he would never follow Christ again. And the demons fell down in front of the devil and said, Master, what can you have said in one second that we could not? The devil said, Oh, it was very simple. I just told him his brother had been made bishop of Alexandria. What does the devil know about you, about me, that shows that we have failed to accept all that flows from the confession that God is? Yeah, we may be faithful church attenders, we may read the word, we may say the prayers, but he knows And we know that there is something he's been speaking to us about. It may be about forgiveness that we've not let go. Is it hidden envy? Is it hidden sibling rivalry as with that monk? Or hatred as in this story? Is it in not accepting his challenge to love others as we love ourselves? Is it in denying the goodness of God? You see, when we deny the goodness of God, we can't live up to the words of our epistle reading today. It's only when we rest in the goodness of who he is and believe he is who he is that we do not lose heart. That even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature has been renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, Anthea, in that testament, said she had that peace even in the midst of a car smashing into her. She had that peace because she'd been obedient, listening to the word in the morning and proclaiming, declaring over herself the protection of God. Have you, have I, really allowed ourselves to be changed by the reality that God is. He's the God who heals, the God who protects, the God who covers, the God we read about in Psalm 138 at the beginning of this service. Did you believe those words when you read them? Go back and read them and own them. In what way, in what aspect of our faith or life are we rejecting our maker, refusing to hear his voice? Don't make yourself unforgivable by refusing to respond to him. Don't harden your heart against his call to turn and begin a new 
with him. The journey is short. Let's pray. Maybe we could just hold out our hands. Father, Abba, Daddy, you're such a good, good God. And you delight to give good things to your children. Forgive us, Lord, if we've faced obstacles in the way, if we've not let things go that we know we ought to relinquish. Forgive us if we've heard your voice and have ignored it. Forgive us if we've hardened our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us afresh. Renew us so that we're willing to surrender all to follow your word and to obey. Open our ears to hear you afresh. Open our eyes to see you, the God who is, and to live in the fullness of all that means for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.